Welcome to Grace this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning to be together in your house. Lord, I pray that you will speak through me this morning, that it will be your words that are heard. Lord, these are the words that you gave me to speak. And I pray that you'll just open the hearts and the minds of each person here. Uh, you know what they need, and you've planned this for them. And I thank you for that. And I, I pray that you'll just open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say this morning. And we love you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. One more announcement. Um, today, after this service in the big room, the big classroom at the back of the gym, the outreach ministry is going to be having a meeting. Um, let's see, where's Brooke? Is Brooke in here? Kanitha? Well, anyway, Brooke, Brooke Hamby and Kenitha Wattenberger are in charge of that, and um, the, the outreach ministry is going to, to uh, support and help uh, many of our community programs, our, our uh, shelters, our crisis centers, our food pantries, and things like that. So they, they plan to be a support to that. So if you'd like to be a part of that ministry, if you'll, they're going to have a really brief meeting in that large classroom at the back of the church right after service. And they'll be having the same meeting again after the second service. But anyway, I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. I hope that none of you had to, to swim to get here. Hopefully this sun today will draw some of this up for us. But if you haven't met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I am the Women's Ministry Director here at Grace. And uh, this morning I get to pick back up in Romans chapter 8, where we left off last week. In a message that I'm calling, All Things Work Together for Good, with a question mark at the end. Because <laughs> I know that we say this a lot, all things work together for good, but I also know that we've probably questioned it a lot. You know, how could that work together for good? How could that be good? And so I hope that when you leave here today that you'll be able to end this sentence with a period instead of a question mark. We're going to pick up where Pastor Dennis left off last week in verse 26 of chapter 8. And I love this verse. I love this verse because it says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I think that's such a beautiful statement to think that the Holy Spirit comes along and helps us in our weakness. And you know, we could read that to mean that you know, that he helps us in our occasional weakness, or he helps us whenever we're weak. But that's not actually what he's saying here. He's saying we're weak. <laughs> he's saying that we're weak and that, that the Holy Spirit helps us all the time because we're in a constant state of weakness. And in the original Greek, it actually just says the Spirit helps our weakness. It leaves out that in our weakness. It, the Spirit helps our weakness because we're all weak. It's a, it's a universal thing. There's no person or people group that's exempt from weakness. And, and, and the enemy would have us believe that because of our weaknesses that there's things that we can't do. But we know that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us and strengthen us, strengthens us in those weaknesses. You know, I know that we all go through difficult times in life when we realize our weaknesses and when we realize our need for God and we go to God and we say, oh Lord, help me. Help me through this. I'm weak. I need your strength. Help me through this. But then things get better and things start to improve and we start to feel like, well, you know, we got this. And we start to rely again on our own strength. 
and we, we start to feel self-sufficient again until that tough season comes along, and then we're right back to God. Lord, help me. And so what Paul's trying to tell us here is that we're always weak, and we always need the help of the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians, it talks about that, that Paul had a thorn in the side. And we don't know exactly what that was, but we know that he hated it. We know that he didn't want it. And we know that he prayed three times for the Lord to take it away from him, and the Lord didn't take it away. And ultimately, what the Lord told him was that it was for, it, it was for a purpose. And he told him, my power is made perfect in weakness. So it's when we're weak that the power of God can rest on us and, and really help us in our lives. But let me tell you what the, the Holy Spirit has a hard time doing. He has a hard time helping us when we don't think that we need his help. When we think that we got this and we're self-sufficient and we don't need his help. But when we're willing to humble ourselves and go before the Lord, then he'll come in and he'll step in and help us and go along beside us. I want you to also notice that in this verse, it says that the Holy Spirit helps us. Not will help us, not did help us, not anything in any other tense. It's present tense. He helps us. It's ongoing. He helps us. We're in a constant state of needing his help. So how does he help us? It says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So sometimes we don't even know how to ask him for help. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray. Sometimes I don't even know how to pray. And I pray with people a lot. <laughs> but sometimes I don't know how to pray because we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know how to pray the way the Lord would have us pray. Because what happens is somebody comes to me or I see a situation and I know that I should pray about it. And so what I do is with my human brain and my limited perspective, I assess the situation and I say, okay, well, this is how I should pray about this. And that's how I pray. I pray Teresa's will. You know, and Teresa's will isn't always God's will. You know, I don't always know the will of God. You don't always know the will of God. You know, we have a Bible, and we can read God's Word, and we can see what His will is on a lot of things. But there are other things that we just don't understand on so many different levels that, that we don't know how to pray as we ought. Because we all know somebody that, you know, is making bad choices in their life. And maybe they're a believer, and they're making bad choices in their life. Sometimes we're that believer that's making those bad choices. But you see what's going on in their life, and so you want to pray for them because they're going through this trial in their lives. But how do you pray? You know, what do you pray? Do you pray that God removes that trial from their lives? Because what if that trial is the very thing that's going to draw them back to God? You know, we don't know, do we? We don't know how to pray according to God's will. But the Holy Spirit can come alongside and do our praying for us. In verse 27 it says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the Holy Spirit, the one who knows my heart and knows the mind of God and the will of God, 
He can bring those two together perfectly and say the perfect prayer. And another part of that that I really love is that in those times when, you know, we've all been through those times when you're just, you're just beat down and you're just going through something and you're just so just drained and just so emotional. You know, I've been through those times where I couldn't even make a coherent sentence to you, much less to God. And to know that I can go before God and I can just be like, God, and he hears my prayer. I don't even hear my prayer. But he hears my prayer. Because the Holy Spirit steps in and prays for me. Isn't that amazing to think that you don't even have to go, you don't even have to have words. You can just go before him and the Holy Spirit will just take over. I think that's just amazing. But now I'm not saying that, you, that because you don't know what to pray that you don't have to pray or that you shouldn't pray. This is not like that fill-in where, okay, I don't ever have to do this again because the Holy Spirit's going to do it for me. That's not what I'm saying. You still, you go before God. I'm saying that when you go before your Father, that the Holy Spirit will come alongside you and that he will lift those prayers up to the, to the Father. He'll, he can pray as you ought. He knows the perfect will of God and he'll assist you with that. And it may just be groanings, but before the Father, those groanings speak volumes. And here where it's talking about the groanings of the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about speaking in tongues. It's not talking about praying in tongues. That's, that is a gift of the Spirit, but it's not a gift that we all have. But this, the gift, what it's talking about here, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, that's for all believers. So if you're a believer here today, the Holy Spirit will do that for you. For everybody, for all of God's people, not just this, the super saints or the really good ones. He'll do it for you. You have that, whether you realize it or not. Let's move on to verse 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's the comfort that we have. That's why we know that we can go before the Lord and we can say, Your will be done. Now, we don't always want to do that because we don't know what God's will is and we'd rather our will be done. But that's where our faith comes in. That's where our trust comes in. You know, you've heard the saying, Father knows best. He really does know best. You know, I used to hate it when my daddy would say, well, this is for your own good. Because <laughs> you know, I knew what was coming next was something I probably wasn't going to like. <laughs> but it really was for my own good. It really was. It was something that was going to build my character or something that was going to protect me. Um, so... God works all things together for our own good. You know what all things means in the original language? I'll look this up. It's, it's interesting. It actually means all things. <laughs> all things. <laughs> Everything. There, there's nothing that, that, that doesn't qualify. There's no limitations. All things. Even bad things? Yes. All things work together for the good, all the events of our lives, good and bad. But now I've heard people quote this verse and they say, okay, well, I lost my job and all things work together for good, so I must be getting a better job. Maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. This, that's not what this verse is saying. 
okay? Or my car broke down. All things work together for good. I must be getting a new car. Maybe, but probably not. It's not what this verse is saying. You might have to walk. God might be trying to teach you something. He might be trying to humble you. I don't know. But what I do know is that all things work together for good. And that God has two purposes that he's, that he's working out in this world. And the two purposes of his plan are for our good and for his glory. We just need to understand what good means from God's perspective. Because when we think of good, I think sometimes we think of material things. We think of, you know, nice cars and fancy houses and expensive shoes and all of those things. But that's not what God sees. God sees salvation of souls as a good thing. So when God says it is good, he's speaking of hearts, not bank accounts. And our ultimate goal, God's ultimate goal for us is, is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Not that we have a new car or a fancy house. It's being like Christ. But let's look at who he makes this promise to. Who does he make the promise to? It says, all things work together for good. Number one, for those who love God. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. If we focused on that... If like the youth sang about this morning, if we fixed our eyes on that, then everything else would fall together. And number two, for those who have been called according to his purpose. So who are the called? The called are the people who put their faith in Jesus, the believers. Those are the called. So that's who this promise is for. The people who love God and are called according to his purpose. To no one else is this promise made that all things will work together for good. To no one else is this promise made. It applies only to those who believe. It's a promise for us. Now, I've had people ask me when they go through really bad, really hard situations, they say, you know, how is God going to work this together for good? How? And my answer is, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know. But he said he would. He said he would, and God always makes, makes good on his promises. And I think that no story in the Bible demonstrates this more than the story of Joseph. You know, if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph in the coat of many colors, you know, he was, he was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, ended up in Potiphar's house, was, was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and ended up in prison. I think at that point, if I was Joseph, I might be sitting there thinking, does God even remember me? You know, does he like me? Did I do something to tick him off? Like, what's going on? You know? And Jacob, Joseph's father, I mean, he was just in a bad spot. You know, and he got, he got to the point that he cried out, everything is against me. Everything is against me. Because... He thought Joseph was dead and his youngest son, Benjamin, had been taken from him. And he was just at a loss. He's just like, what else is there? You know, like, how, what else can happen? Everything's against me. Yet God was working in all of that. And they couldn't see it. 
You know, because let's not forget that we can open up the Bible, we can open up Genesis, and we can read all about this story from beginning to end, and we can see, and we can go, oh, glory to God, look how great he was to them. But they were in it. They were in it, and it wasn't for a short time. Years passed, and they were still in it. And they didn't know the outcome. They couldn't see it. And so I, I dare say that some of you are in it today. You're right in the middle of it, and you're thinking, does God even remember me? But just know that there's more to the story that you don't see yet. That you don't see yet. Because what Joseph and Jacob couldn't see was that God was working out a plan. And he had a plan that was going to save his family from the famine. That was going to protect his family. That was going to build his nation. That was going to eventually lead them into the promised land. But they couldn't see that. So when you're going through stuff, when you're going through these hard times... Do you respond like Jacob and say, everything is against me? Or do you respond like Joseph and say, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And eventually he was able to say, what you meant to hurt me, God meant for good. To bring about the salvation of many people. Because that's what it's all about. You know, so, so if you ever get to that point where you're wondering, does God even care about me? I want you to know, God cares about you. God cares about you, but, but sometimes you have to go through difficulties to get you to the greater blessing. Now don't get me wrong, this verse is not saying that bad things are good. Because God uses bad things, but that doesn't make them good. Okay? You know, Jesus going to the cross was bad. Okay, good came out of it, but it was bad. I mean, being beaten and tortured and hung on a cross is not good. But the result was good. And it's just like Jesus, when he went to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, in his humanness, he didn't want to go to the cross. He knew the torture that he was about to endure. And he was human. Flesh and blood, just like me and you. And he went to the garden to pray. And he was sweating it. He was, he was sweating blood, literally sweating blood. And it says in Matthew 26, 39, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. And he prayed this three times. You know, God, I, if there's any other way, I mean, I'll do it. I'll do it, but if there's any other way. That's God's son begging him. And yet God had a purpose and a plan. And even then, that purpose and that plan was for us, for salvation, for us, to provide us a way. So we don't know, we don't always know what God is up to, but we know that he knows. And if we were able to see everything from his point of view, then we would understand more and we'd go along with his plan a little bit easier. Because even in the evil things, God has the power to work them for good. It's just like if you take the ingredients to make a cupcake. I like cupcakes. I like cupcakes. 
Anybody like to eat butter just straight? Yeah, me either. <laughs> I've heard people do, but not me. But, you know, you wouldn't just take a stick of butter and just chomp off and start eating it, right? Because that is just gross. Or you wouldn't just take an egg and just crack it and just... Right? I think I'd toss my cookies on that one. No. Even sugar. I love sugar. I love sugar. But I wouldn't sit down and eat a whole cup of it. Right? I don't think I would enjoy that. I mean, I might try because I like sugar, but, you know. And, like, cocoa. Anybody ever eaten cocoa? Straight? <laughs> yes. Okay, so there was a temptation there that you obviously fell to. <laughs> There's a video of a kid on Facebook where he's, or YouTube where he's just dying to eat that cocoa because he just thinks it's going to taste like chocolate. It's just a big can of chocolate. And so his mother finally lets him, and then he takes a big bite, and he's like, and then he starts, and it starts flying out of his mouth. It's nasty. It's nasty. But it does make everything taste like chocolate somehow, you know? And so all these ingredients by themselves taste bad. They're not good. You don't want to eat them by themselves. But there's something about when you mix them all together and you put them through the heat that you come out with this beautiful, glorious, delicious cupcake. Right? And this, this is good. <laughs> right? It's good. And we don't exactly, most of us don't exactly understand how this works. But it all works together for the good of people who love cupcakes. <laughs> it all works together for good. And God does that in our lives. He mixes all that together and brings it out for good. And I know it's hard to see that sometimes. You know, I think about, I think about like 9-11. You know, I remember where I was when I heard it come over the radio. You probably remember where you were when you heard about it too. And I remember going home and turning on the TV and the replays over and over of those towers being hit. And this was at a time in my life where I was a fairly new Christian. My first husband had passed away just four months before that. And so I was, in, I was very deep in my grief at that time. And, you know, I, I remember where most people were, were really upset and, and heartbroken for all the people that were going through it, the people that were there. But my mind, my mindset, my heart was breaking for the people that were at home that their loved ones were dying and they were hearing about it. And I remember saying, God, your Bible says that all things work together for good. How can all things work to good when things like this are happening in the world? You know, and even today I hear about car accidents where young people are killed. And I hear about school shootings and all of these things. And it's all things, all things work together for good. And we question it sometimes, don't we? But listen, we're quoting this verse and defining this verse with our definition, with our earthly view of good. 
without reading it in context because the one unchangeable thing about God is that his goal is to get us to Jesus. His goal is to draw people to him. And not everything that happens in this world is good. There are a lot of bad things that happen in this world. Because we live in a world where a lot of people don't follow Jesus. But if you look at verse 29, the ultimate goal of God for every child is to be like Christ. And I assure you that I know, I hope you have this assurance, that whatever I go through in life, that the Father holds my hand. And he's right there alongside me. And no one and no thing can pluck me from the Father's hand. And I don't know what you're going through today or what heartbreak that you're facing. But whatever it is, you have to surrender it to the will of God or peace will never come. Because we have to realize that we we don't know what's going to come of anything. And sometimes things that we think are bad really do turn out to be good. You know, it's like the the farmer who he had this beautiful, magnificent, strong horse. And his horse ran away. And the people from the village came and they're like, oh, this is so bad, your horse ran away. And he said, well, I I don't know if it's bad, but all I know is my horse ran away. And then a couple days later, the horse comes back and he has six beautiful wild horses with him. And the people from the village come and they say, oh, that's good. Your horse came back with six more horses, so now you have six more horses. And he said, well, I I don't know if it's good, but I just know that I have, my horse came back and I have six more horses. And then a couple days later, his son went out to try to tame one of the horses and got bucked off and broke both his legs. And the people from the village came and said, oh, this is bad. Your son broke both his legs. And he said, well, I, I don't know if it's bad or not. I just know that my son broke both his legs. And then a little while later, war broke out in the country. And they were calling all the young men to go serve in war, and many of them were being killed. But the farmer's son, he didn't have to go because he had two broke legs. And the village people, oh, this is good. Your son doesn't have to go to war because he has two broke legs. And And the father said, I don't know if it's good. I just know that my son doesn't have to go to war. You know, we don't know, right? We, we could probably tell one of those stories with our own lives if we pieced it all together. We don't know. You never know. All things work to good, together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what is his purpose? Let's look at verse 29. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers and sisters. Now this verse... <laughs> This verse is one that gives students of the Bible fits. (laughs) This one is, it's interpreted many different ways. Do we, are we predestined to be saved or do we have to choose to be saved? My answer would be yes. (laughs) Do we have to choose to be saved or are we predestined to be saved? Yes. Yes, we are. There's... 
both of these are in the Bible. And there's, there's a wonderful biblical balance between the two. And God, in his infinite wisdom, he knew who would respond to his calling. It's just like if you threw a party. If you've ever thrown a party, like a birthday party or a wedding or something where you invite people. And if you've ever done that, then I can guarantee that you've invited some people that you knew wouldn't come. Or that you thought wouldn't come. But you invited them anyway, right? But you knew they wouldn't come. You didn't even count them in your, you know, in your tally of how many people were coming. You didn't decide to prepare that many sandwiches for them. But you made sure that they got the invitation. You made sure that the word was spread and that they knew what was going on so that they could choose to come or not to come. But deep down, you knew that they're not coming. It says he foreknew. He knew ahead of time who would accept his invitation. And for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He's making us into his image. Predestined means marked out beforehand. It means that we didn't earn it, that he didn't look at us one day and say they're finally good enough. He planned it beforehand. It's just like in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And before that, talking about Jeremiah, before that, in Jeremiah 1, 5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God knew Jeremiah in the womb. Before he was born, he had a plan for him. We know in reading in other places in the Bible that John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, the Lord had a plan for him to prepare the way for the Messiah. And we know that before he was even conceived, God had a plan for Jesus. God has a plan for all of us. He has a plan for all of us. We were predestined. And there's conflicting views on exactly what that means. Some people believe that some people believe that God chose certain people and that only those people can be saved. And some people believe that God knew who would accept his invitation, so those are the people that he chose because he knew they would, ex they would accept. And then other people believe that everybody gets the invitation, everybody can be saved, and everybody has the opportunity to come to him, but that God in his sovereignty, he knows everything, as though he knows who will. And people can go on and on and on and, and, and debate those, those different views. And I'm sure there's people here today that have those different views. And that's okay. We don't have to agree on this. That's okay. But what I want you to hear today, what I want you to know today, is that God has a plan for all of us. And that the Bible never describes God rejecting anyone who comes to him. He doesn't turn away anyone who seeks after him. Instead, he says that if you seek after him, you will find him. And that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Nowhere are we taught that the Bible predestines people to be eternally condemned. If they're condemned, it's because of their refusal to trust in Jesus. 
It says we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's ultimate goal, that we become like Christ. And many times that's accomplished more in the hardships of life than it is in the easy times. Because I know when I'm going through something hard, man, I'm on my knees. I'm begging God, help me. But when things are all easy, not so much. Yeah, let's be honest, not so much. And so sometimes it's these hardships that make us turn to him. Because listen, there's always a means to the ends. And the ends is making us more like Christ, of drawing us to him. But the means is everything in between that gets us there. All the good and all the bad. Verse 30 says, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Predestined essentially means that he planned our salvation for us. And he called us to him. And when we came to him, he justified us, meaning just as if I'd never sinned. And those he justified, he also glorified. And Philippians 3.21 tells us what glorified means, what glorification is. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And notice, it's, it's an unbroken chain from salvation to glorification. Those who experience its beginning experience its completion. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That's the day of completion. But let's look, at, look back at verse 30. Notice he doesn't say, will be justified, or will be glorified. It says it as if it's already done. Because you see, God views time differently than we do. He created time. And he views it differently than we do. You know, I have to wait till tomorrow to find out what happens tomorrow. And we read a history book to see what happened in the past. Right? But God, he sees it all from beginning to end. He sees the entire thing. To him, it's a done deal. He sees it all. It's like, have you ever watched those, those TV shows where it's constantly going back to the past. You know, you're watching what's happening right now and then it flashes back to what happened in the past. It does that because the past explains the present, right? And we can do that in our own lives. We can look at the past and we can see how that's affected where we are right now. If only we could do that for the future, right? If only we could look to the future and see how all of this is going to play out. Right, especially if you're going through something tough. If you could just fast forward and see what's going to happen. But God does. He does see all that. He knows the whole story from beginning to end and sees it as a done deal. From salvation to glorification, it's a done deal. So do you see, do you see that he has a plan for your life? And he uses all the good and bad. And all the good and bad that's done to us, okay, the, the, the effects of what other people, the choices that they make, he uses all of that to draw us to him, to grow us in our faith, and to move us towards Christ's likeness. And ultimately, we get to trade in this old earthly body, this old ratty earthly body, for a glorified one, 
and eternity in paradise with him. And that'll be a good day. We'll all see that as good. Because there really is going to be a party. And everything that happens in this old world is preparing us to get to that party. And I bet they'll have cupcakes, too. Because that's a good party. He works all things together for good. Period. And so my challenge to you this week, if you're going through something really tough, and I know many of you are, the prayer requests just roll in every week. I know many of you are going through something tough. I challenge you to step outside of that and to think about what could God be doing How can God be using this to grow me? You know, he'll sacrifice our comfort to build our character. How is he using this to grow me? How is he using this to affect the people around me? Where is he giving me opportunities to speak into the lives of people that I would have never known? Is he creating a testimony in me that other people can be reached through? Step out of, your, out of your box and see, what is he doing? Because when you do, you'll find hope. And when you find hope, you'll find peace. And that's what I wish for you this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this message this morning. Lord, I know that there's so many people in this room today that are going through so many different things, Lord, and I know that you know their whole story. Lord, I pray that they will trust in you, that they will trust that you're going to bring it about for good. Lord, and we know that, that all of that good is not experienced in this world, but that eternity, eternity is so much more than this world, so much longer than this world. No more sorrow, no more tears, Lord. Thank you that your goal is to get us there because that is the most important thing. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for choosing us. Lord, we choose you. In Jesus' name, amen.